I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For our new listeners, welcome. For our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is... Sink or float, wolf star. Hi listeners, I'm Jem, and this week I'll be arguing that we should sink wolf star. And I'm Rhea, and this week I'm arguing to keep wolf star afloat. Alright, so basically with this episode, the whole concept is, is that we take a popular Harry Potter ship a ship being a relationship between two characters, which isn't canon in the story. Mm-hmm. And then we decide whether we should sink that ship or we should keep it afloat. Yes. And the ship we're talking about this week is Wolfstar, uh, which for those of you who aren't aware is the relationship between Remus Lupin and Sirius Black, mm-hmm. which gets its name from... <laughs> werewolf lupin being a werewolf and dog star which is the star that sirius is named after so you combine those two and you get wolf star yep <laughs> uh, i'm pretty sure this little mini series we're doing sink or float was my idea but it's it was <laughs> <laughs> it feels a bit counterintuitive to me because i'm not really into like policing other people's ships i'm very much of the belief that like everyone can ship whatever they want all ships are fine no ship is more yeah. valid or real than any other one. So the whole idea of arguing over ships and trying to find evidence to prove or disprove them is very, like, against my entire experience of fandom. So I don't know why I've suggested that we do this. I think it's just come up as, like, <laughs> well, let's just explore the types of arguments people generally use. Because, obviously, mm-hmm. when I say the word, oh, Wolfstar... People who are familiar with the ship will have either a negative or positive reaction to it. And that's a perfectly personal preference. People have their own reasons for liking or disliking something. I think this, mm-hmm. the whole point of this debate is just to like see both sides of the argument and maybe make, come to a conclusion on your own based on what you hear today. Yeah. That's actually our approach to quite a lot of our topics. Yes. <laughs> we don't actually want to find out who's right or wrong. We just want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to comb through the nitty-gritty of everything in Harry Potter with the finest of toothed combs ever. Yeah. Just so we can talk about Harry Potter at length. <laughs> <laughs> this, this whole podcast is just an excuse to do that. <laughs> anyway, and today we are focusing on whether or not Lupin and Sirius are in love with each other. Yeah. All right, so the first thing we should probably address when figuring out if Lupin and Sirius are in love with each other is, are they gay? (laughs) That's a big factor. Yeah. Okay. Now, as we know, gays don't exist in text. Okay? They always have to be invisible. So... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So, when reading a book, 
there's this great thing called subtext, and that's where all the cool queer stuff likes to hang out. Mm. So when I'm yeah. reading Sirius and Lupin, I'm going to be doing a queer reading and looking at the subtext surrounding those two characters to try and figure out whether or not they might be attracted to men in general and each other in specific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll start with Lupin. Is Lupin gay? Yes, quite obviously. Where's your proof? <laughs> I'm saying it. <laughs> His whole character is a metaphor for like a closeted HIV positive homosexual man. And that's really obvious, if not outright been stated by JK Rowling. I'm pretty sure she has confirmed that. Yeah. So the way that Lupin is treated for his lycanthropy in the magical community is the same way that countless people have been treated for their homosexuality in the muggle community, by which I mean like the real world. Yes. Both now and in around the time when Harry Potter was set and around the time when Lupin would have been growing up. So the way that we see him deal with like ostracism, legislation, controlling what he can and can't do, uh, the people's attitudes towards him working in a school, mm-hmm. what is that quote? They wouldn't want someone like me around their children. All of that is like a clear, obvious reflection of how we treat homosexuality in society. So like, it's really obvious that Lupin is supposed to be read as gay. Okay, my rebuttal to this is that that is all just a metaphor. J.K. Rowling is exploiting Mm -hmm. the interesting plot availability of presenting a metaphor of a homosexual man working in the education industry, living as an HIV-positive man, purely for plot device. Yeah. And to appeal to minority audiences, and is not actually presenting Lupin as a gay man. Yeah, I don't see how what you said is different to what I said. (laughs) We said the same thing. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is it's a metaphor. It's not actually the truth about Lupin. That's what I, that's, I started this by saying that we don't show gays in the text. They have to hide and be invisible. (laughs) So yeah. Okay. That's fine. You have to interpret the metaphor. That's fine. But you have to provide more evidence than, oh, well, his whole characterization of being a metaphor for a HIV positive man, you have to provide more evidence than him just being a metaphor for a gay person. You have to provide evidence in his behaviorisms and in his character that he is a gay character. Okay. You see the difference? Yes, I do. I, I'm trying <laughs> to find an example of another text. Like, okay, in okay in the Star Wars prequels, maybe <laughs> Anakin Skywalker is meant to be a metaphor for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he actually is space Jesus. But he is space Jesus. <laughs> okay (laughs) but he's not (laughs) okay oh i don't know if i want to rebut this now or in a moment i think i don't want to have to rebut you twice so for now i'm just gonna let's just put pause on this and i'm gonna present my evidence for serious and then we'll do it again (laughs) because i don't want to have the same argument twice right okay so serious is serious gay jk has explicitly said no he isn't i say yes he is yes (laughs) when (laughs) When it comes to queer identities in the world of Harry Potter, JK tends to frustrate me. So I like to ignore whatever it is that she thinks she's doing and then just do my own thing. Because that's the beauty of fandom. (laughs) So (laughs) in a similar sort of vein of let's interpret his character using metaphor, Sirius rejected and was rejected by his family and he ran away to stay with his friends when he was 16 
that's gay. That's a gay story. <laughs> okay, can I interject? <laughs> yes. The, the reasons why he rejected his family and ran away when he was 16 was not because of his sexuality. It was because of his identity with the Gryffindor persona and values. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but where did that come from? Some people are just born Gryffindor, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact point I'm about to make. Sirius is raised in this pro Slytherin, dark magic, pure blood traditional family, and with apparently no outside influences at the ripe old age of 11, he has created a very different personality within that house. So, where's that coming from? Why does he care about other people? Why doesn't he uphold traditional? Pure blood values and Slytherin values. Why is he a Gryffindor? I'd like to interject him. Yeah, go. So you said that he presents a, like a very different sort of value system to his family. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think that Sirius isn't a caring, compassionate person about other people. The opposite of a Slytherin is not a Gryffindor. The opposite of a mm -hmm. Slytherin is probably more of a. Yeah. So. Gryffindor and Slytherin share some very similar traits, such mm. as like determination, sometimes a disregard for the rules and uh, serving of doing your, your own thing instead. Even ambition. I would say a lot of Gryffindors have ambitions and stuff like that. So to say that Sirius couldn't have gotten these values from his family and still have been a Gryffindor, I think that's wrong because I think that he did get a lot, a lot of his values from his family, but he just had differing opinions in terms of Muggleborn and more of a, a stronger connection to the ideas of loyalty and friendship in more of a traditional sense. Like Slytherins have very strong ideas of friendship, but sometimes it can be different to the ideas that Gryffindors have of friendship. So I think those are the main reasons why Sirius went into Gryffindor. And I think he chose to go into Gryffindor as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that him being a Gryffindor is representative of him being so different and an outcast from his family. I think it's just he has similar attributes to his family, but he's just chosen to act on them differently. Okay. I'm not trying to say that Sirius is the exact opposite of his family. Like, I can see how, like, obviously they've influenced him growing up, but he is inarguably different from his family mm -hmm. because all of his family are Slytherins and he's Gryffindor. And it's to such an extent that he gets thrown out of the family and burned off the tapestry. Yeah. Like, you can't argue that he's exactly the same as they are. He's clearly different. No, but I don't think it started off as, like, such a drastic difference. I think that was just the drama. Yeah, he is a drama queen. I think, like, he... Was pretty similar to his family, got sorted into Gryffindor. And then the fallout from that, from both ends, from Sirius's end and from the rest of the family's end, of like, what? You're a Gryffindor? How dare you? I think it just got blown completely out of proportion in that way. And not so much because he's just so outlandishly different from us in everything he does. He's not. It's just the drama that ensued from him being sorted into Gryffindor. Yeah, that, what you are saying, sounds exactly like a coming out story. <laughs> He's not completely different. <laughs> There's just an aspect of him which is different. And the drama <laughs> from that one choice that he's made, that one other way that he is acting, causes this massive divide to open up between him and his family, sourcing from both Sirius's end and from their end. That sounds like a coming out story. 
Sounds like he's come out and his parents have rejected him and therefore they hate each other forever and he gets kicked out of home. It sounds like a coming out story, only in so much as as it sounds like a metaphor for a coming out story, when really in the actual plot what happens is Mm -hmm. it's not about Sirius's sexuality at all, it's just about his identifying with Gryffindor. Yeah. (laughs) Again, metaphors. Okay. (laughs) So again, it's just a metaphor. (laughs) Now, let's get into... On that same line... On that same line, is Harry also gay because the Dursleys rejected him? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) This is the problem we're going to encounter. (laughs) Okay. So what you said earlier about I have to present evidence in text that they are gay. I would like to present you with the Dumbledore problem. (laughs) So Yes. JK has kind of shot herself in the foot by announcing that Dumbledore is gay after the fact with absolutely no evidence that he is anywhere in the books. She told us two things. One, gay people exist in the world of Harry Potter. And two, we don't need any canon evidence to identify them. Mm -hmm. Anyone can be gay or bi or ace or trans or any flavor of queer that you like. And as long as they're being heterosexual, isn't explicitly relevant to Harry's journey, then congratulations, they meet all the criteria. We don't need to fucking prove it. Anyone can be gay. Your neighbour can be gay. The guy behind the counter can be gay. The guy sucking your dick can be gay. (laughs) (laughs) Harry just doesn't realise because he's oblivious to everything and everyone around him. Not relevant to Harry's journey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you have any counter to that, or does that seem valid? That seems valid. That's that's foolproof. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is why I was like, when you started saying you have to present evidence that Lupin's gay, I'm like, <laughs> what evidence, bitch, where? <laughs> so I think a queer reading of Remus Lupin and Sirius Black is 100% valid, justified, whatever you want to say. I may concede that Sirius Black and uh, Remus Lupin could be read as queer. However, there is no explicit evidence saying that Lupin and Sirius are attracted to each other or in a relationship in any way. Again, that's because we can't show gays in the text. (laughs) You're not going to find any explicit evidence. (laughs) It's all got to be subtext. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well... Show me some of that subtextual evidence. Okay. First of all, I'm just going to say I like Sirius and Lupin as a couple for like a lot of reasons. One of the reasons that I think that they balance each other really well, Sirius is very wild and ruled by emotion and Lupin is much more restrained and thoughtful. And I think they balance each other and make a good couple that way. And also I like the way that their story plays out like their canon story from the book plays out if they are romantically involved. So like they're best friends since childhood. Since they're 11 years old and they've been at Hogwarts, they've been best friends. They're some of the first people to accept each other. They become marauders together. Sirius becomes an unregistered animagus so he can hang out with Lupin more. (laughs) They're in the order together. They fight side by side in a war. There's all that awfulness, which we'll address in more detail later, but then you skip over that part. (laughs) And when they get reunited, they stay united for the rest of the series until the other awfulness happens. 
their story is a great story of like friendship and brotherhood, but it can also be a great story of love and romance if you just interpret it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. I have a counter to that. Lupin and Sirius, you said that they have they would have a very balanced relationship. Mm-hmm. I would argue that they have very incompatible personalities. Oh, okay. There are many times when Sirius acts rashly and selfishly and it disregards the opinions of his friends and those close to him, including Remus. And even Remus can't really talk him out of that. And I think that if they were in a relationship together, they would be argumentative a lot of the time and they wouldn't be a very well-functioning relationship. Okay. That's all I got. <laughs> My counter to that. <laughs> Is that all your evidence against them being together? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My counter to that is that while we do see Sirius being very obstinate, argumentative, and just difficult with a lot of other people, we don't see him like that with Lupin. How often do you see Sirius lashing out at Lupin and arguing with Lupin? That doesn't happen. What we tend to see happen is Sirius getting frustrated with other people and lashing out at them, and then Lupin stepping in and calming him down. (laughs) So we see them managing each other as a couple. For example, in Order of the Phoenix, when Sirius and Molly are fighting over how much they should tell Harry, whether Harry should be included in the Order of the Phoenix, I guess. And Molly is very adamant that he mustn't know anything, and Sirius is very like, I'm going to tell him whatever he wants to know. Sirius gets very angry and upset, and he stands up from his chair and he's shouting at Molly. And Lupin steps in and ends the argument. Basically by telling Molly that, like, everyone cares about Harry and just telling Sirius to shut up and sit down, and he does. So we see that they do work together, even though that's not a romantic moment. It's a moment of them cooperating and working together. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to draw an example now, because I just thought of one. Um... (laughs) You just thought of one now. Okay. So back in Hogwarts when they were teenagers, Sirius and James would be very aggressive and bullying towards other students, including Snape, whereas Lupin would sort of sit in the sidelines, not enjoying it, but he wouldn't intervene and he'd feel very guilty and angry about what was going on. That's not good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. You're just describing things in the book. That's not an example of them not being in a relationship. I'm saying maybe Lupin's a pacifist when it comes to Sirius's more extreme behaviour, and that's not a good thing to have in a relationship. Okay, I've literally just provided an example of how that's not true in their adulthood. (laughs) So just refer to my previous statement. (laughs) As for when they were children or teenagers... One of the big plot points in Order of the Phoenix is Harry realising that his father was kind of a shit when he was a teenager. Yeah. And Sirius is associated with that as well. So when we go back and see the Marauders as teenagers, James and Sirius are bullies. They're aggressive and not the best, most upstanding people. And what we learn from that is that maybe not everyone's perfect all of the time. And the people we love can have flaws, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're irredeemable. (laughs) So, yeah, Sirius maybe wasn't the greatest person when he was young, but he grew up to be a really good person. And he did grow up from that moment. He was a child then. As for 
that being some sort of incompatibility with Lupin. I think Lupin was always a bit more mature than Sirius and James, mm. and obviously much more reserved than them. That comes with trauma. Yeah, that comes from trauma and from constantly being ostracized. Sirius looks back on that specific memory that Harry sees when they were young and bullying Snape. And he just sa- says that we were idiots. All of us were idiots, except Mooney. <laughs> except Lupin. He wasn't an idiot. <laughs> so it shows that Sirius is looking back on this moment in his life when he wasn't the greatest person, and he's interpreting it as Lupin being in the right, showing that as Sirius has grown and matured, he's come to realise that Lupin is maybe like a better person and someone to aspire to. I guess you could say that Sirius regards Lupin as an exception. So when he thinks of um, his youth and the sort of problematic behaviour that he and his friends did, Lupin is always the exception to that behaviour because Lupin is better than other people. Yeah. And in adulthood, we can see that Sirius has understood that Lupin was in the right of things more than he and James and has tried to be more like Lupin because he adores him and they are in love. Let's look at a few more points of why I think they should be together. Loyalty. There's one thing that struck me as not quite a plot hole, but something that doesn't quite make sense in Harry Potter, in The Prisoner of Azkaban. When you get the reveal that Sirius, James, and Peter were unregistered Animagus. Animagus? Animagus. Animagus. It comes with the reveal that Lupin knew that secret for 12 years and didn't tell anyone. Why did he keep the fact that Sirius could turn into a giant dog hidden from everybody? Even when (laughs) Sirius has escaped from Azkaban and is trying to kill Harry, Lupin doesn't tell Dumbledore, he doesn't tell the Ministry, he doesn't tell anyone this very important piece of information, which explains how Sirius was able to escape from prison how he's able to continue infiltrating the security at Hogwarts. This genuine danger that is presented by the fact that his evil criminal friend can turn into a dog isn't so severe in Lupin's mind that he is willing to betray the trust that was placed in him by James, Peter, and Sirius when they became Animagus. Okay. So what's the source of that loyalty? My theory is that it comes from a childhood sort of loyalty of my friends change so much of their personalities and their lives just so that they could comfort me and support me in the fact that I was a werewolf. So they made that choice to become unregistered animagi just so that they could spend time with him while he was a werewolf and while he was suffering. And so that's a sort of act that someone gives you that is really hard to express your gratefulness for. Like, mm-hmm. I like people have done really momentous things to me in my life, and maybe I've lost touch with them over the years, but I'll always remember them for the things that they did that, like, really meant a lot to me. And so in that way, there's always a sort of a special place in my heart <laughs> for that person. <laughs> I know this sounds more gay, but... <laughs> that sounds a bit romantic. <laughs> but it's not. It's not romantic because I don't look on these people with a romantic light. I look on them with a sort of thankfulness and a camaraderie of like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have gotten through that tough time in my life without that person. 
And so I owe them a solid in a way. Like if they were to come up to me years from now yeah. and be like, I need a favor, I would be like, well, yeah, okay. Uh, you helped me out a, for a big thing that one time. It's fine that I help you out now. So I think that's a similar sort of mentality with Remus of like, he doesn't want to tell anyone that that uh, Sirius wasn't unregistered at the Magi because it would feel like betraying that loyalty. Secondly, he maybe he feels like if he's the only one that knows this about Sirius, he might have a better chance of catching Sirius. Yeah, I think Lupin definitely wanted to stop Sirius himself. Yeah. Partially just to confront him. Mm -hmm. Because if the whole wizarding world, if all the auras and everyone and Dumbledore and the Order even found out that Sirius was an unregistered animagus. And so Sirius, as a black dog, came walking into, like, let's say, the Quidditch match when he went to go watch Harry fly in the Prison of Azkaban. Yeah. So he came walking into that Quidditch match and just sat there. And suddenly um, everyone was trying to catch him and he got away. Then he would know that, that Lupin had betrayed his secret and that everyone was on the lookout for a black dog. He would go completely into reclusive hiding and would never come out again. Whereas if Lupin saw that black dog and was like, that's serious and I can track him now because I know like that he's around, it'd be much easier in order to catch him and hand him in. Yeah. So there's that element to it as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a really good point. I think that he definitely wanted to catch Sirius himself and that's partially why he kept it hidden. Also, I can interpret that romantically, so I'm going to. <laughs> he wanted to confront Sirius himself because of his big gay feelings for Sirius. <laughs> Big gay feelings. Did I forget how to say romance? <laughs> Those gay feelings. <laughs> he's, he's gay. He's got his gay feelings out. <laughs> <laughs> Your earlier point about the depth of gratitude that Lupin feels towards Sirius for becoming an animagus. What I think you're failing to consider in that point is that Lupin would feel the same amount of loyalty to James and Peter, who also did that for him but without the gay feelings. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let's look at it from Lupin's perspective. So from Lupin's perspective, your best friend in the world has betrayed your other best friend in the world, allowing him to be killed, and then gone himself and murdered your third best friend. Mm -hmm. So Sirius has done some serious betraying. <laughs> <laughs> and... Lupin is the only one left who can stop him. So the idea of the loyalty that I feel towards my friends is the reason why I don't want to tell anyone that they're an Omegas. If the friendship that he feels towards Sirius, James, and Peter is completely equal, then the loyalty and gratitude that he feels towards James and Peter should outweigh Sirius. Because there's it's just basic two to one. He should be like, I feel more loyal to my dead friends who lose nothing if I tell the world that they're un unregistered and make it. If I go to Dumbledore right now and I say to him, James and Peter and Sirius were all unregistered animagus, James and Peter lose nothing. In fact, mm -hmm. James directly and Peter as well, if they're all friends together, gain something because Harry is now more protected than he would be if I keep this secret. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes more sense to tell people. It's a better way of honoring his friends and the sacrifice that they made for him if he tells people about it rather than if he keeps it to himself. However, if he feels more loyalty towards Sirius because of his gay feelings, then you can see why he would do the counterintuitive thing and keep that information hidden to himself. Because I think that 
Lupin's actions only really make sense if he wants to believe that Sirius is innocent. If there's a part of him that doubts the fact that Sirius betrayed him, then it would make sense to keep the fact that he's an unregistered Animagus hidden from everyone. Because you want to give your friend the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, well, maybe he did want to give his friend the benefit of the doubt. Friend underlined bold. Like, if my... If my friend betrayed my other friend and then went to jail for it and my other friend was dead, I would still want to have the benefit of the doubt believing that my friend hadn't done it. And that's not necessarily a romantic want. It's just Mm -hmm. because I care about my friend so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it could be. (laughs) Sounds like just guys being pals. (laughs) Just dudes being dudes. Sounds like a good friendship thing. (laughs) No, sounds like guys being gay. (laughs) Anyway, my last point here is that, aside from all of that mess, I think there's a tragic point, but I think it's a bit of like a tragic romantic sentiment that in the later part of the series, Lupin and Sirius have no one but each other because sort of they've lost all of their friends, they've lost all of their outside connections. Lupin has basically been expelled from Wizarding Society. Sirius is on the run from the law. All they have is Harry, but Harry's not really an equal in their relationship. It's just nice to think that after losing so much and spending so much time separated from each other and shut out from the magical community, they could find each other and find like some measure of peace and acceptance with one another. Isn't it great when friends reunite? No, isn't it great when people are gay is, I think, what you were trying to say. (laughs) Okay, so that's my personal feelings about why I think they should be together. Now let's go into canon evidence, like what we can interpret from the text which makes it seem like they are together. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start in Prisoner of Azkaban and go through the evidence that we've got there and then move on. In Prisoner of Azkaban, Every time Sirius is mentioned, Lupin is super, like, on edge. Like, he's anxious. (laughs) Harry talks to Lupin multiple times about Sirius Black and his father and, you know, the friendship they had when they were younger. And Lupin is, like, 100% A-OK talking about James. He's not a stress. He's like, your father was so great, blah, blah, blah. As soon as Sirius is mentioned, Lupin's like, okay, that's enough talking for today. Okay. And he just deflects the conversation. Well, can I remind you that in the third (laughs) book, when Sirius Black escapes from Azkaban, the whole wizarding world, to quote you, collectively shit themselves. So Remus being a bit... Yes, that that (laughs) did happen. Remus being a bit on edge whenever Sirius Black is mentioned is not too far out of the extreme. And also the fact that Obviously, Sirius was his one of his best friends when he was younger, and having betrayed him and all of that history there is like still a sore point for him. Mm-hmm. But I think that the reason that the Wizarding World collectively shit themselves when Sirius escaped is because Sirius is a dangerous dark wizard. He's a Death Eater. Yeah. And they're afraid of him. Lupin doesn't need to be afraid of him in that same way. Like, first of all, he was in the Order of the Phoenix, so he was actively fighting against Death Eaters. Therefore, doesn't need to, like, lose his shit in the same way that the average Witcher Wizard would when they (laughs) hear about a Death Eater. And because of his, as you said, his friendship and his connection to Sirius, why would he be, like, so point-blank terrified of him? Well, 
I don't, I don't understand the logic of like, oh, he was fighting in the order, so he was more comfortable with Death Eaters than the average citizen. I don't think that's a point because if you're fighting in the order, you had more of an intimate idea and knowledge of what. How is that not a point? You'd have more of an intimate idea and knowledge of what Death Eaters were doing to people than the average citizen. You'd have reason to be more upset with and terrified with Death Eaters than the average citizen. I would say. Also. Okay, no, I want to counter to that. I want to counter that. He may be more terrified of Death Eaters, but he would be more equipped to deal with that terror and to still stand up to Death Eaters and resist mm-hmm. them because that was what he was doing. Yeah. But he, the thing was, he wasn't equipped to deal with Sirius because when Sirius, in quotes, betrayed him and his friends uh, by betraying Lillian James and killing off Peter, that came out of nowhere for Lupin. He never expected that Sirius would do something like that. So that completely altered his w- worldview and probably terrified him to his mm-hmm. core to think that his friend, who had sacrificed so much of his life and time for him by becoming an animagus to support him, yeah. would actually betray him and everyone that he loves so thoroughly is such a world-changing viewpoint. And so that can really mess you up. And it would mess you up even more if you had gay feelings for Sirius. <laughs> What I love about this is you can be like, uh, but friendship. And every time I could be like, but even more <laughs> if relationship. I don't like that view. I don't like that view because that's, that's saying that friendships aren't as important and great as romantic relationships, which I think can be a bit limiting. You know my feelings on that. Obviously, friendships can be just as deep and profound as romantic relationships. You're just twisting my words because you're running out of arguments. (laughs) (laughs) So while you're trying to know Homo, Sirius, and Lupin's deep love for each other, you should know that you have something in common with the American version of the Harry Potter books, which actually the American editions of Prisoner of Azkaban change the wording around Sirius and Lupin's reunion to make it sound less gay. (laughs) Really? Yeah, when they Uh. are reunited in the Shrieking Shack, in the UK edition or the original edition, uh, Sirius is something like, no, Lupin does something along the lines of uh, looking at Sirius and speaking to him with this, uh, I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like he's got this unidentifiable emotion in his voice, which he's trying to keep repressed and hidden. And that's the line. And in the American edition, they changed it so that all that stuff about repressed emotion is gone and Lupin is just speaking in a tense voice. <laughs> that makes me think they changed it because it was too gay. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe they just changed the whole repressed emotion to <laughs> tenseness because in the American versions they like to dumb things down. <laughs> like they changed philosophers to sorcerers because they had to make it very explicit that this was a book about wizards yeah because americans are stupid was the assumption of the publishing company yeah exactly so you think that of all the things in the harry potter book the line that they had to change to make it more understandable was from unidentified suppressed emotion to tenseness like that's what we needed to change otherwise People, they wouldn't understand. They just wouldn't understand what Lupin was trying to express unless we changed it to tense. Stick it to my guns. Yup, I sure do. (laughs) (laughs) You liar. 
you you're just trying to no homo this entire situation. <laughs> Lupin is so upset at the thought of Sirius being punished by Dementors that he has this whole like moral conversation with Harry about it. But Harry's like, the Dementor should kiss him. And Lupin's like, does anyone really deserve that kind of fate? When he finds out that Sirius is innocent and that Peter Pettigrew was actually the one who betrayed his friends, Lupin is ready to murder Peter Pettigrew personally with his own hands. <laughs> so suddenly all of that hesitation <laughs> is like gone. Okay. Can I put it that into context? Yeah. So when Lupin and Harry are having that philosophical conversation about whether it's right to let a Dementor kiss someone and have their soul removed, mm -hmm. that is in a completely different context. It's like after class or something. It's like when everyone else is at Hogsmeade and Harry's just sitting in Lupin's office or something casually. It's at Hogwarts. But in the moment where Lupin is ready to basically destroy Peter Pettigrew with his own bare hands. <laughs> Let's kill him together. <laughs> that is in the heat of the moment. Yeah. That's in the heat of the moment when he has just discovered that everything that he believed was a lie and that Peter Pettigrew is actually the one that caused all of the misery in his life. Mm -hmm. Well, not all the misery, but a lot of the misery in his life. And that's also on a night of a full moon when Lupin has failed to take his Wolfsbane potion and is obviously about to change later on. So you could argue that the effects of his transformation are making him a bit more anxious and on edge. <laughs> or maybe he always believed that Sirius was innocent. <laughs> And didn't want him to be armed, but he's 100% willing to just murder Peter Pettigrew because he has it coming. <laughs> That's how I choose to interpret that. <laughs> okay, so now that we've brought up Peter Pettigrew, I don't really want to go through the whole convoluted, and we change the secret keeper and blah blah blah, but basically what happened is the reason why James and Lily were killed by Voldemort is because Sirius was supposed to be the only one who knew their location, but they changed it so that Peter Pettigrew was the only one who knew their location because they knew that there was a spy in the Order of the Phoenix and they didn't want that spy telling people that Sirius was the only one who knew so that Sirius might get captured and tortured and might have to reveal his friend's location. They shunted the responsibility off to Peter Pettigrew because they're like, no one will suspect that. And the reason why they gave that responsibility to Peter Pettigrew and not to Remus Lupin is because Sirius suspected that Lupin was a spy. And the reason why Lupin was so willing to believe that Sirius had betrayed his friends was because Lupin also suspected that Sirius was the spy. They say that explicitly to each other in that scene. Like, they both believed the other was the traitor. Mm -hmm. Well, my question is, if they were such close friends, and they were in the Order of the Phoenix together, and they'd known each other since they were 11... What would make the two of them be like, of all the members of the Order of the Phoenix who could possibly be betraying us, why is it my closest friend that I suspect? I think that the reason why is because both of them were hiding something from each other. They were hiding their gay feelings. <laughs> so they both knew the other one was hiding something, but they didn't know what it was. And there was all this tension <laughs> in their relationship. I <laughs> And because there's a war going on, they just suspected the worst. I would say that <laughs> the suspicions towards each other that either of them might be the spy is a benefit for my argument, because that proves that they're not looking at each other with rose-tinted glasses all the time because they're in love with each other, that they recognise that the other person is flawed and could be a bad person. So that... 
for me, proves that there's no romantic feelings between them, but purely platonic feelings. Because when you have romantic feelings for someone, it's it's less likely that you'll suspect that they are going to betray you in the future. It's more likely to just be so in love with them that you're like, oh my god, I love them. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I think you can be in love with someone and not be seeing them through rose-tinted glasses. You can be in love with someone and realise that they are a flawed, complicated human being. Yes. And that we're yeah. all living in an incredibly high-stress situation and it's possible that someone could have hurt them. But answer me this. If you were in love with someone and you had strong suspicions that they were a spy that was going to betray you and all of your friends and everyone you care about, would you not either address them about it or, or like, try and figure it out for yourself? Not if I was desperately hiding my gay feelings <laughs> and if I thought that confronting them about their possibility of being the spy, they would be like, well, why would you think that? Why would you think I'm hiding things from you? And then it would all come spilling out and I've got all this anxiety over my queerness. <laughs> no, I don't think I would. The reason why they both suspected the other of being the spy is because they were both hiding their feelings from each other. So they knew that they were hiding something and they worried. I don't think Sirius was ever like 100 or even 90% convinced that Remus was the spy. He just knew that Lupin was hiding something. And he's like, when it comes to this incredibly important piece of information that I'm about to learn, like the fate of my friend's lives and their young son, who is apparently prophesized to be the only one who can take down Voldemort, this is so important that I can't have a single doubt in my mind. And I can't say that I don't have a single doubt about Remus because I know he's hiding something from me. And what he was hiding was his deep gay love for Sirius. Okay. Well, I don't think that the argument that they suspect each other is necessarily a helpful argument for you. I think it helps me even more. All right, I disagree. <laughs> uh, I'd like to go to my best evidence from Prisoner of Azkaban before I'm going to move on to Order of the Phoenix, but my best evidence from Prisoner of Azkaban actually comes from the movie, because I can't remember if it's exactly in the books, but uh -huh. there's two lines <laughs> in the movie that I really loved. One, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the first line is when Snape comes bursting into the Shrieking Shack and <laughs> accuses Sirius and Lupin of bickering like an old married couple. <laughs> I like that for a lot of reasons. <laughs> One is that because Snape is a massive dick, you would assume that if Snape knew something about Sirius and Remus and their relationship with each other and knew that having just been separated for 12 years, he could really, like, really just stab in at that painful knot between them. He would. He'd be like, oh, remember how when you were young you were basically married? Now you're not. Get fucked. That's the kind of insult that Snape would deliver to those two. There's a whole other argument around that line, but I don't really want to get into it. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the other line from the Prisoner of Azkaban movie that I think is very indicative of a romantic connection between Sirius and Lupin is when Lupin is transforming into a werewolf and Sirius grabs him and starts being like, this heart is where you truly live. This heart right here. How gay. I mean, I don't know about you, but <laughs> don't you say that to your mates? <laughs> don't you come running up to your mates when you haven't seen them in ages and just grab them around the waist and like press your hand against their heart and say, this heart's where you truly live. This heart right here. Because I do. <laughs> I think that 
if my 100% heterosexual friend <laughs> was transforming into a werewolf and I was trying to reason with them, I would say something like, remember who you are. You don't want to hurt us. You can be in control. I would be saying things like that. I think if I was reaching out to my homosexual life partner, <laughs> I might say something like, you know in your heart that we're in love. <laughs> you live in your heart with me because we're gay together. <laughs> well, first of all, that's a really cheesy line. <laughs> and second of all, I mean, it's just, it's just words between mates, words with friends. <laughs> Trademark. Words with <laughs> I think that's highly indicative of romance. I think they're in love. Uh, skip ahead to Order of the Phoenix. Now, first of all, there is something in Goblet of Fire. Sirius and Lupin stay together. At the end of the book, Sirius is just like, all right, I'm just going to go stay with Lupin in his house. <laughs> so they're just living together for a while. Okay, I've lived with my friends for a while. Like, that's okay. Yeah. I've also. No, I haven't lived with people that I've been gay with, but <laughs> that is something that occurred. <laughs> That's just a moment between them that you can interpret as queer. And moving into Order of the Phoenix, we've talked about how Lupin and Sirius have a really good connection and a good dynamic in that book. Lupin's spending a lot of time with Sirius. Sirius is trapped in his house, blah, blah, blah. There's one particular moment that I really want to draw attention to. It's Again, during that conversation, when Molly is like, we shouldn't tell Harry anything about the Order, and Sirius is like, no, we're going to tell him everything, and Lupin steps in. So, early in that scene, Lupin looks at Sirius, and the line is something like, staring fixedly at Sirius. And then, 40 lines later, Lupin finally looks away from Sirius. <laughs> so Lupin was just... Staring directly at Sirius for like 10, 15 minutes. Okay. Um, was, was Sirius in a monologue during that time? Was he just talking the whole time? Because that would explain why Lupin was staring at him if Sirius was. No, Sirius was not just speaking that time. There was like a whole scene going on around them, but Lupin's just. In his own fucking world, just staring at the love of his life, saying nothing. I mean, same. I, I like, <laughs> my friends will be talking sometimes, and I'll just stare at them across the classroom, and I'll be like, <laughs> thinking, just in my own thoughts, you know? It's just stares between mates. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you keep saying things like that just happens between mates. I don't think it does. I <sighs> So people might be like, okay, well that's just like 10 minutes of intense meaningful eye contact. That's not necessarily an indication of homosexuality. What you have to understand is we gays we use meaningful eye contact to express emotion <laughs> in public because we're used to being uh ostracized or beaten to death for showing physical displays of affection. So all we have is our meaningful stare. <laughs> I think this was a meaningful stare of love. I mean, was it a stare? He was staring fixedly. Was it an eye contact stare? Did, did Sirius look back into Remus's eyes? Not all of the time. So yeah, I 
I wouldn't say that that's proof that Sirius and Remus were in love. I think it's proof Remus is in love. Sirius was just distracted in that moment. Doesn't mean he's not in love with Sirius, with Remus the rest of the time. <laughs> On the point of Remus being in love, mm-hmm. can I play my trump card here? My trump card called Nymphadora <laughs> Tonks. Ah, uh, Tonks. Who Remus marries <laughs> and is in love with. Oh, what a fucking joke that is. Okay. So... I've got a lot to say on this. Do you want to just, are you just going to say Tonks and then drop the mic or do you have anything more that you want to say about that? Um, Let me just check my notes. Um, Yeah, I just wrote argument number two, Lupin falls in love with and marries Tonks, full stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. All right. I have quite a bit to say about Lupin and Tonks. (laughs) So the relationship between Lupin and Tonks literally started as a joke. I wish I had a source for this, but this is true. I read an interview with J.K. Rowling after Half-Blood Prince was published when she talked about why she chose to hook up Lupin and Tonks, and it was literally just a red herring. Okay, she was talking about an author of a famous series of detective novels, I don't remember who it was, said something along the lines of, romance is only relevant in your story as a plot device, as a mystery. So, Tonks' crush on Lupin is literally just a meaningless subplot to distract from other things that are happening in the story. We're, like, trying to figure out who Tonks is in love with and what's wrong with her. Like, maybe she had feelings for Sirius, her cousin, which is weird. Maybe she's in love with Bill, and the fact that Bill is engaged to Fleur is very upsetting to her. And the reveal that it's actually that she's in love with Lupin is supposed to be really shocking to the reader, because they have no prior connection or chemistry. Mm-hmm. Do Tonks and Lupin even speak to each other once in Order of the Phoenix? I don't think so, because I think Lupin is so focused on Sirius, his true love. Maybe so, <laughs> but <laughs> they do end up... It's not It's not just thrown in there into Half-Blood Prince as a plot device. This plot device, in quotations, continues into Deathly Hallows, in which they get married in secret and end up having a son, Teddy Lupin. Yeah, I'll go into that. I think that the relationship between Lupin and Tonks is straight nonsense, by which I don't mean straight up nonsense, I mean straight people nonsense. (laughs) So there's this heterosexual idea that men and women cannot interact or occupy the same space without being in some kind of romantic or sexual relationship. So despite like the huge age gap, the fact they have nothing in common and absolutely no chemistry, they are in love because straight people will find that a compelling romance. <laughs> Tonks declaring her love out of nowhere and then they get married in secret and have a child together is something that straight people will be like, oh, they're so in love. I don't know. They're not. And I think it really does a disservice to Tonks. I just want to talk about Tonks for a minute, because Tonks is amazing. Yeah. She's introduced as this, like, funny, rebellious, free-spirited, shape-shifting punk aura dark wizard catcher she's so great Mm -hmm. first of all she sounds like Sirius (laughs) like rebellious shape-shifting she sounds just like Sirius wow okay (laughs) and second of all she sounds like a lesbian (laughs) okay (laughs) and I hate that she gets shafted into this lame love story where her story in Half-Blood Prince is that she's so depressed that she can't be with the one that she loves that her entire personality and physical appearance changes. And then the next book, 
She's relegated to wife, mother, and then she dies. Also, Lupin is 100% ready to just abandon her. So, you know, romance of the century there. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about either Tonks or Lupin made it seem like either of them were interested in marriage and children? In our general life and in Harry Potter, it's assumed that everyone wants these things because they're equated to just happiness and fulfillment and success in life. But that's more straight people bullshit. <laughs> and I don't think that there's any evidence that Tonks or Lupin were interested in marriage and children before it was just thrust upon them by plot convenience. I'll stop now because otherwise I will continue on this tangent forever. <laughs> well, <laughs> do you have a rebuttal? <laughs> My rebuttal is it's canon that Lupin marries a woman. <laughs> Uh, and my response to that, fuck you, bisexuality exists. <laughs> <laughs> Whoop, you got me. <laughs> As do many other orientations and genders. Yep, it's possible to marry a woman and still be in love with a man. Those things can happen. <laughs> my arguments um, don't make room for anything but heterosexuality. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> This has been a rough episode for you. <laughs> okay, so I've made all my arguments for why I think they're a good couple. <laughs> I have one more. Oh, you've got one? I've got one, yeah. So my last argument is that if Remus and Sirius were together, it's not a good relationship because mm -hmm. Sirius dies. Oh! Their storyline would disappointingly fit into the kill your gaze trope. So you're saying that if they were in love, the ending of their story would have been disappointing? Yeah, it's disappointing to ship them because they become this horrible stereotype where it's like, oh, we can't allow gays to exist happily, Yeah. so we have to kill them. Yeah, oh, I hate barrier gays just as much as the next gay, but <laughs> it's not an argument against them being in a relationship. If anything, that's more evidence that they're in a relationship, because in order to stop the gay romance from happening, you have to kill one of them. That's what barrier gaze is. It's like, we can't allow healthy, loving, supportive queer relationships. Mm -hmm. So in order to stop that from happening and keep their love pure and unsoiled by sex or other things, we have to literally kill one of them off before their relationship can develop to that point. So if anything, that's more evidence supporting my argument. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing there is that uh, Lupin dies as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this is awful and I'm not advocating dying so you can be with the one you love because I hate that trope in every story. But the idea of bury your gaze is one person dies, mm -hmm. therefore the relationship can never be because one person's dead. If both of them die and the afterlife is a confirmed thing that happens in Harry Potter, then they can be together. But what if Lupin's with his wife in the afterlife? No, he's not. His marriage is a sham. <laughs> Tonks is a beard. Oh. Uh, I didn't want to trash Tonks this episode, but it just came so easily. She deserves better than this. I thought you were going to be arguing for polyamory with Tonks and Sirius. Sirius is dead by the time that Tonks... And Lupin get together. Yeah, but... What polyamory? 
Yeah, that can just be rewritten. That's a- <laughs> yeah. Sirius didn't die. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, what veil? I don't remember that happening. What Tonks? That also didn't happen. <laughs> I just think Tonks is gay, so I don't think she would want to be with Luther. <laughs> gay until proven straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my position on every character is by until proven otherwise. <laughs> I can see you're getting out your microphone back, so I think you're about ready to turn yours off and finish this episode. <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing more to add. Like, obviously, my position is that they're gay. Yeah. But <laughs> and in love and together forever. Having to argue in the opposite is like my, I think, the least amount of notes I've ever had for an episode before. It was like <laughs> half a page. <laughs> so tell us how you feel about this episode, listeners, because if you liked it, we'll continue doing more sink or floats. We talk about more Harry Potter ships and argue for and against them. But if you thought this was just us being silly, then maybe we won't continue doing this. <laughs> yeah. Let us know how you felt. <laughs> I've been Rhea, and I believe that Wolfstar is the gayest of all, except for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> I've been Jem, your other host. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9and3quarterspodcast at gmail.com or talk to us separately. Jem is on our Tumblr page, podcast9and3quarters.tumblr.com and Rhea is on Twitter, at SmashMouthRhea. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Mischief Managed by John Williams, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. Happy Valentine's Day, listeners. We love each and every one of you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 